You tried so hard to raise godly children, but their choices have moved them far from spiritual truth. Did God's promise fail? Or did we fail to discern the difference between a proverb and a promise? As we look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, Dave Wurtson, our study leader, begins today quoting this famous proverb on parenting, and he goes on to give us an important insight that will help you understand the purpose of a proverb. Train up a child in the way which he should go simply means that education generally, usually determines behavior outcome. In other words, what that proverb is saying is if you as a mom and dad live godly, if you follow the principles of Proverbs, if you really allow God to work in your heart and you pass that precious gift on to your children, usually, most of the time, that deep godly training will cause them as they mature to be godly themselves. But it doesn't mean that they're locked in concrete. You see, your kids have a will. Your kids can listen to all of your training. They can see your life, and they can still choose to rebel. Now, that's hard for me. I wish that wasn't so, and yet I don't. Because, you see, my kids wouldn't be people, and your children wouldn't be people either, if they couldn't choose to reject, if they couldn't choose to walk away. You see, one thing I want to clear up from the very start, I'm not going to promise you that the kind of parental philosophy that I teach you is going to be a simple how-to technique that will guarantee that your kids, when they get through your assembly line, will come out to be a certain kind of car. Because it's not going to work that way. Life is much too complex for that. Proverbs state the way life usually runs. Now, there are promises in the book of Proverbs because one thing that we need to be clear is that not all the book of Proverbs are Proverbs. Let me say that again. Not all the book of Proverbs are Proverbs. In fact, that's very confusing. A lot of people don't understand what's going on in the book, but I would encourage you to start reading the book this week and you'll begin to understand some of these things. Proverbs begins with an introduction. It begins with a title. In chapter 1, verse 1, then we have the purpose of the book, which we're going to look at more today. In Proverbs 1, 2 through 6. Then we have a motto that we're going to look at next week, the foundation of it all. Then we begin a long section, which is not proverbial literature. It doesn't have these one-liners or two-liners, real quick to-the-point statements, kind of like little capsules of life realities. Instead, in Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, 18, a wise, godly mom and dad sit down with you and try to motivate us and our kids to want wisdom enough to listen very carefully when we get to the Proverbs. And so Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, 18 is a series of conversations which a wise dad and mom have with us and our kids motivating us to listen to wisdom. The key to this section is, this is the principle, this is why I'm giving it to you, and these will be the results if you don't obey it, these will be the results if you do obey it. It's exhortation kind of literature. We could call it the discipline section of the book of Proverbs. Then we get in, if we weighted our appetite, if we're motivated to listen to the life of wisdom, then we'll listen to these quick, 
succeeding, just almost like a, like a, a repeated rifle coming at us in chapter 10.1, where every single proverb changes setting. When you get to chapter 10.1, you need to think about every single proverb. Proverbs is not the kind of a book you just read through at one setting and say, well, got that under my belt, let's read Galatians. You can't do that. When you get to chapter 10, you need to think about every single proverb. And the more that you think about it, the more insights into what the author is getting at. At first, when I give you a proverb, it sounds like, ah, uh, that's simple. Like mother, like daughter. That's a proverb that almost every country has. The book of Ezekiel brings out that proverb. Like mother, like daughter. You say, big deal. You guys, I, I throw that out to you guys. Like mother, like daughter. You guys sit there, who cares? Everyone knows that. So what? Is it a law? No, thank the Lord, it isn't. Is it a promise? No. You say, Dave, what does it mean then? It's a general principle about life. And you say, well, big deal. So what? Well, when you guys are courting, those proverbs will become very important. You need to really think about that proverb, like mother, like daughter. You go over to your mother-in-law's house. You just can't stand her mannerisms. You can't stand the way she talks. You can't stand the way she walks. You can't stand the kind of food that she makes. And you look at your dear fiancé and say, Thank the Lord she's not like her mom. Watch out. Now, the proverb's not a promise. She might not be exactly like her mom, but you can bet your bottom dollar she'll be somewhat like her mom. And as she grows older, she might become more and more like her mom. In fact, some of you wives that are about 35 years old are just scared to death because you see your mom appearing in the mirror in the morning. I deal with a lot of counseling over that. I think that's a big ingredient of the midlife crisis. Oh, no, I'm becoming like my parents. You all laugh about that, but that's a very serious conflict in marriage. It's like a deadly fatalism. I'm becoming like my mom. Ah! Or like my dad. Well, praise God by his grace, you don't have to be like your mom and dad in a negative way because his spirit can make you completely new. But you see how we need to think about those proverbs? What I just did was illustrate to you how you need to think about these two-liners. That's just a one-liner. Most of the Proverbs in chapter 10, 1 and following are two-liners. And you need to take every one of them and think about a new situation in life that they talk about. And think about what looks like just a blatant, simple, anybody-would-know kind of principle. And then all of a sudden you think about it and it starts to create wisdom in your heart. Well, you've got that kind of literature in chapter 10, 1 through chapter 22, 16. Then in this middle section, we have two collections of the words of the wise in 22.17 through the chapter 24. And this literature here goes back to the literature you had in chapters 1 through 9. It's very similar. It's a disciplined section again. It's once again like a wise father and mother sharing their wisdom. Then you have a second collection of Solomon's Proverbs in 25 through 29. And then the book closes with three types of discipline teaching, which is very similar to what you had in chapter 1 again, chapters 1 through 9. And so the book of Proverbs basically has two major kinds of literature. One is the proverb, quick two-liners, maybe three-liners at times, which you have to think about every single one of them individually. Then you have a beginning, and you have a middle, and you have an end. 
that gives you a little break and lets you have an argument again, lets somebody explain things to you again, and if you're aware of that difference, it'll really help you. So that's the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Let's turn back to chapter 1. Let's look at the purpose of this book. And when I look at Proverbs 1, verses 2 through 6, it reminds me of when I was in seminary. Dr. Walkie looked at us one day and says, this is like honey. Man, it's just hard. It's so sweet that it's almost too much for you to take. In fact, when I'm teaching this, it just, it's really hard not to violate every principle of good preaching because in good preaching, you're supposed to make it all really simple. Don't burden them with too much material. Well, it's obvious. I chucked that a long time ago. But these verses are really loaded because when a wise person speaks, every word is important. Every word is important when a wise person speaks. Now, when a fool opens their mouth, they just gush foolishness. And you can just throw out all the words. But when a wise person speaks, and especially when they write, every word is significant. So as the author gives us the purpose of the book, every one of these words is important. So let's look at his presentation of the purpose of the book. He says to internalize skillful living, which comes through discipline. The NIV, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding the words of insight. And I'm just coloring it in, kind of putting it on color TV for you. It's for you to internalize skillful living. The King James has to know. Now, I want to talk to you about knowing. We have a lot of school teachers in our church, and we've got a lot of education, and that's pretty normal for a good American scene. But you know, usually in America, when we talk about knowing, we usually mean filling in the blanks on a multiple choice test. Jonathan, with some other kids, took the SAT. And when I got all done, he said, boy, am I glad it was multiple guess. You know, not, he didn't really say that, but he meant that, multiple choice. You know, because he said, well, I've got at least 25% chance of getting some things right. And the idea there is that we pour into these kids, you know, for all these years, we pour information into their, into their heart, into their minds, get it right, into their minds, and then they pump it out with objective data. When I go to the World Life Bible Institute, they specifically tell me, don't give any essay questions, and that's a good thing, because there's 500 students, and I would be reading essays from now until, you know, three years from now. So I have to give them short, true, false tests. It's very objective. They even say, make it an objective test. So what we do is I go up there and I spill all these gems of wisdom and I give them a test at the end of the week and they answer all the true, false, right because I make all of them true or all of them false except maybe one. And we all say, what a good teacher am I? In America, we often think of knowledge as being putting objective data into a mind. Usually that's what we're measuring. When the Hebrews spoke about knowledge, that's not what they meant. It wasn't just our kids memorized a thousand Bible verses. In a church like ours, it's very easy to fall in to that kind of an approach. Hey, our kids got a wanna down. Ooh, what a good person we are. You know, Lenin had just about the whole Gospels memorized. I believe it was the Gospel of Matthew. Khrushchev had much of the Gospels memorized. Weren't they epitomes of godliness? Lenin built a lot of his approaches to how to apply the Marxist philosophy from Karl Marx through the study of the Gospels, the idea of small, intense cell groups working with a small group of intensely dedicated people to change the world. He got a lot of that from the Gospels. 
He memorized. He knew it in his head. Didn't hear the message in his heart. You see, our kids can come here every single week. You can come here, Mom and Dad, every single week. In fact, over the years as I've worked with people, I've sat down at meals with people and I've talked to people that knew the Bible as well as I did. I mean, they knew the verses. They, they could remember the references. They could talk theology. There's only one problem. They never fellowshiped with other believers. I don't like other believers. They really, never, they really never reached out to anybody. They never really shared the gospel with anybody. You know, who would want to do that? It was all just in their head. And, oh, I'm frightened about that in our church. Bible churches are notorious for putting a lot of information in people's head. When the Hebrews talked about getting information into a person, they talked about getting it into their heart. Getting it into their heart. It wasn't just having objective information. I will not ride my tricycle in the street in front of an 18-wheeler. Mom and Dad taught me I can pass the exam, true or false. 18-wheelers flatten you like a pancake. Information in your head. The Hebrew sage would not say that child A knew a thing until they watched that child riding down the sidewalk, an 18-wheeler starts rumbling, and they see the child dash like crazy for the ditch and get that bike away. And then the sage would go, ha-ha, they've internalized wisdom. And that's what all of us need to be after. There's a big difference between getting information in people's heads and getting it into our hearts. Over the years, I've had a lot of people interact with me about the book of Proverbs. And it's helped me to understand it so much more because our goal in the next few weeks must not be for me to share objectively from my mind what I've learned from other people about the book of Proverbs and what I've learned myself. We need to interact in life about these things. We need to talk about how it invades our insides, how it works out. And so I would just challenge you to begin to really interact about this life of skillful living. And let's work on this together. I don't have all the answers. Some of you that are older can say, ha-ha, you just wait. Don't go like that. Share. Don't say, oh, we're going to wait and see how your kids turn out. Then we'll listen and we'll say, ha-ha, you taught us that. See, it doesn't work. Don't do that. We're all in this together. All of our kids belong to all of us. We all belong to one another. We all need to share. Because wisdom is not just head knowledge, it's life knowledge that gets deep in our life. Now, Proverbs says not only to know skillful living, but it also says that it comes through discipline. Now, that is a big, ugly word. How many of you kids love, I say, the word discipline? It's a favorite word. It's like chocolate, candy, Christmas, discipline. Ah, like this, right? Is that true? Wrong. None of you like discipline. In fact, that's why we like Midlothian so much. That's why we like Waxahachie so much. We can get away from discipline a little bit. Boy, in Dallas, they wear all their suits. Man, during the week, we got to get to work on time. They even make us punch clocks at time. we got to get so much work done. I mean, they even assign projects to us. Our boss says, hey, you know, you got three weeks. you got to produce so much. And, man, we got to discipline ourselves. But, man, when we get home, whoo, here we go. No discipline now, right? You know what? You'll never become skillful in anything unless you're disciplined. There's a ton of people that are home sleeping right now. 
That's just reality. I know that. If you went around knocking on doors on Sunday morning, it would not be wise. Man, you would get probably blown away by a shotgun. You would get, you would get very angry retorts. You know why? The fundamental reason, just think about your own life. When you stop coming to hear the Word of God taught, most of you don't say, well, I hate church. I don't like it anymore. I just don't really appreciate the things that are said there. I'm not going to go. I'd love it if somebody came up to me and said, that's why I'm not going to go. Very few people don't go to church for that reason. You know why people don't go to hear the Word of God taught? They don't have any discipline. They just can't get up in the morning unless they're going to lose their job. You see, at TXI and the cement and, the, and Chaparral Steel, if you don't show up, I think it's three times, something like that. That's really a strong motivation for discipline. But when it comes to learning how to live, when it comes to learning about God, God wants us to discipline ourselves. I'm not going to lock you into a behavior pattern. I'm not going to be God for you. If you don't come to church for the next six weeks, I'm not going to go and say, oh, you're a bad little girl, bad little boy. That's between you and God. But if you don't discipline yourself, and if I don't discipline in myself, then we're not going to become wise. Let me illustrate it to you this way. I adopted the philosophy when I was about seven years old that great pianists were born, not made. Now, a lot of you have heard my older brother play the piano, and I want you to know something that I've been hiding something from you. I actually, actually have a tremendous gift on the piano. I'm going to play you a piano solo. good that's that's Juilliard is is really into that it's kind of a creative free spirit kind of a form on a piano right now if my older brother was here today Don could say to all of you some of you have seen him do this he could say give me some tunes give me ten tunes and then we'd all write them down and he'd go up to the piano and he'd start playing he did it one time in church for 25 minutes he just played straight wove them all together even got McDonald's theme song mixed in there and he really ministered to us. We enjoyed it. It spoke to us. You say, Dave, why does Don have the freedom on the piano? Because when I was out in the backyard throwing a football hour after hour, Don was in tickling those keys. I can remember coming home from, from school and walking to the house, and here it would be, Don playing away. And he'd be playing through this hard piece, and every time we'd be coming there, I can remember being up in my room, he's going to do it this time, he's going to do it this time. Oh, no, he didn't get it. So he's starting again. He's going to do it this time, going to do it this time. Oh, no, he blew Mozart again. What's wrong with the guy? And then we go back again, slowly this time. Bam, bam, bam. And then your mom, some of you are into that. Remember that? Your mom says, don't do it like that. Do it right. Do it slower. Practice, right? Most of you quit. How many of you ever started taking the piano when you quit? Come on, confession time. How many of you are just thrilled with that? Boy, am I glad I quit. Some of you would say yes. But most of you adults say, no, I wish I would have kept at it. The reason I don't have freedom on the piano this morning is because I never disciplined myself to play. Don did. 
Now, in piano playing, that's okay. There's other things that I did discipline myself in, thank God. But I'm illustrating to you a principle, and I really want to get this home to you. Some of you are going to be fools in life because you just never discipline yourself. You just never do. You go coasting through life saying, I'm gifted, i got ability, but you never train it. You never discipline it. And the book of Proverbs is saying, whether it's piano playing, whether it's athletics, I saw Joe Montana after he got slammed in the back and just wiped out his back. And a lot of you young guys say, man, I'd like to be like Joe Namath. I'd I mean, like Joe Montana, I'd love to be able to throw the ball like him. You'll never do it. You know why? Because you don't have discipline. Joe Montana, the day after he has surgery, is up walking in the hospital. He looks like an emaciated POW. A week later, they've got him walking. He walked, and it's agonizing for him to walk. A few weeks after that, he's in the gym, and you can watch this guy that just had back surgery. Some of you would have had back surgery. You would have been laid up for three years. And here's Montana lifting weights in the gym. He's racing an Olympic swimmer in the pool. And then you see him down on his knees, chucking a football so he won't put any pressure on his back. And then in just a few short months, you see him humming the ball, leading his team into the playoffs. And a bunch of you young guys say, that's what I want to be, and you'll never make it. Because you're just not disciplined. You're not ready to put up with the pain. And Proverbs told us that lesson real early. Things don't usually just happen. It takes discipline. I want to share this. Whether you play the piano, most of us aren't going to be able to play that well. Most of us aren't going to be able to chuck a football like Joe Montana, and that's okay. But when it comes to this art of skillful living, we all desperately need it. We all desperately need to apply ourselves to the life of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. The purpose of this book is to know skillful living which will come through discipline. You need to start reading this book over and over again. You need to start interacting about it with your family. You need to come prepared with your own ideas about what you believe that it's saying. Then as I speak, you'll only be interacting with me. Proverbs of Solomon. Ben Franklin of ancient Israel is Solomon. What does he want to do in our lives? He wants to teach us skillful living which can only come through discipline. I hope I whetted your appetite just a little bit. We're going to keep digging the next several weeks. Discipline your reading habits and start to really get into the book. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the thrill of just sharing about your word. I thank you for how down to earth it is. I thank you that as we study this ancient book of wisdom, that as we cut a slice through it and begin to expose its philosophy, in its method, in its heart, that we understand that there's so much here that can help us to live a life of wisdom today. And I would pray that all of us would recognize that Jesus is the ultimate wise man, that unlike Solomon, he didn't just speak wisdom with his mouth, but he lived it perfectly with his life. And Heavenly Father, I would pray that as we study the book of Proverbs about how to live skillfully, which can only come through discipline, that we would recognize that ultimately we're following the Savior, who it was said about him when he was young, that he increased in wisdom, skillful living, and stature and reputation 
not only with you as his heavenly father, but also with man, with the people around him. And I would ask you, Lord, that from the time that our children are very small, that they would recognize that even a child is known by their deeds. And I would pray that our teenagers would realize that just because they're teenagers doesn't mean that they can live foolishly. I pray that many of them would continue to live wise lives. We pray that we would be able to begin to read this book very carefully and that you would use the exposure of the theme of the book and the structure to begin to be like keys that unlock this ancient literature and enable us to understand it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.